After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! 
and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, we're talking heavyweights. Deontay Wilder is changing the narrative. Francis Ngannou is angry. And what is going on with Stipe Miocic? That's all coming up later. But before we talk about the big guys, let's begin in the same place we started on Wednesday. Leon and Masvidal, what's on the line? What are those two fighting for? A little bit of a redemption story for Leon. Leon said as recently as five days ago, he didn't need redemption. A little bit of a payback for something that happened three years ago? Ah, it seems like a long spread. Possible. Is it a number one contender's fight? When we know that Masvidal cannot return to the championship as long as Usman's holding that belt, is it a number one contender's fight? And we have seen fights before where, yes, it is for one guy. It's not a semifinal. It's not a bracketed situation. If this guy wins again, he will go on, but you can't. And that's largely what's happening here, at least in the regard that I am right. Masvidal will not be fighting Usman again. However, if Colby gets the jump on Usman and takes that belt away, Colby versus Masvidal is a very realistic scenario. If Masvidal wants it, if Colby wants it, who wouldn't want that? So is it a number one contender's fight? And if it's not, why are we doing it? Now hold that thought. Nate is said to be getting busy very soon. Nate Diaz. I know the current winds are blowing towards Luke. What would they be fighting for? If you beat Nate, can you go right into a title fight? If Nate gets a win over Luke, who's won, I believe, his last seven in a row, can Nate qualify for a title fight? Or can we all just agree that the title's not on the line here? Because if the title's not on the line in two of the biggest welterweight matches we've made, then who is the preferred number one contender? Now, that answer is glaringly obvious if you have the sense that God gave geese. Hosmet Chemayev. And for any middleweight that doesn't see what's going on right in front of them, that everybody is laying the red carpet out to get the replacement of Khabib, and who better to replace Khabib than a guy whose nickname is Khabib 2.0? Hosmet Chemaev is about to come in and steal everything. And if you think that's inappropriate, it's not. It's exactly where Chemayev was before he got sick with a pandemic that wasn't his fault. Hosmet Chemayev, to remind you guys, was scheduled to come in against Leon. Leon has now won his last eight fights, but at that time he had won seven. He was the number three ranked fighter in the world. I don't know where Leon sits today, but I know he's no worse than three. Kind of a beautiful number next to his name. Chemayev had no ranking at all. You get some home cooking done. All of a sudden, he's in the top 10. I think it was number 9. All of a sudden, it makes sense to put him in with number 3. And it was rumored that that would be a number 1 contender's bout. Not necessarily to help Chemayev, but as a way of rewarding Leon, who most definitely qualified for I hate to use the word deserve, because then you start using the word fair. You don't deserve anything, and this isn't fair, right? Welcome to life. But he certainly would qualify as a very suitable championship contender and I'm watching a lot of these 70 pounders 
that are pretty eager. They're calling guys out. They're hungry. But they all seem to find a reason to not go after Shemaev. I've heard wonderful things about Shemaev. I'm sure you have too. I haven't seen it. I mean, in all fairness, the guy's 3-0 and and never left the first round. There's, just, there's not enough footage out there for me to, to gain or garner enough information. And in two of those three fights, he did it with the takedown. All right, great. Stop the takedown. You don't have to worry about that error. I mean, right. in all fairness, I'm not really sure what everybody's seeing that they're so scared of, but they sure are in unison with singing the same song about finding some reason to not challenge him. And at one point, it was because of a ranking. Or one point, because he hadn't proved himself yet. At one point, well, he's fighting at middleweight part-time. It just got really weird. It's like, guys, we get it. Just come out and say, man, this guy's, this guy's a problem. Let somebody else deal with it. I've been here a long time. I've dealt with plenty of problems. This is somebody else's. But then you got a guy floating around like Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns does not give a damn. I'll tell you that right now. He does not give a damn about anything that I just told you, but Gilbert Burns, I don't think, understands what's getting ready to happen. The booking and the matchmaking of the top guys at 170, when you've got the 170-pound world championship just about to be defended, which means a new opportunity opens up for a number one contender, and the fights that are announced, or even rumored to be announced, we can all agree are not enough to draw you, at least historically speaking, into that championship fight. The focus is going to Chemayev. That's my prediction. It's a guess. That's all we ever have, guys. All we can ever do is sit back, look at the pieces on the board, do our detective work, and attempt to make a guess. But if I was a 70-pounder, I'm guessing Chemayev, with one more media cycle and one more great performance, is going to be right back in those talks. Now, all that would do, because, again, we don't talk about deserve, we don't talk about fair, but it would qualify him for. Chemayev beats another guy over two different weight classes, and none of them get out of the first round. Four guys up, four guys down, all inside of five minutes. Not for nothing, he's going to have an argument. He's going to put those four up and four down inside of five against you not losing in five years or you winning eight in a row. He just is. Not to mention he's in extremely high demand in a certain part of the world, which is a big damn deal. Can you say that about yourself? Do you have a culture, a community, a nation, an entire people behind you? Can you say that about yourself? I, I, I could not. Wouldn't it be an insult? It's a rare thing. He happens to have it. He's going to use it. How many times do you know people with power when they don't wield it a time or two? If I was a 70-pounder and I was playing my cards right and I was sincere that I want to get to a championship match, I'm going after Chemayev. And you know what? If you call out Chemayev, you'll be fighting Chemayev. If you call out Chemayev, you will be the only person to ever have called out Chemayev. You will 100% get that job. If you disagree with me, if you disagree with my math, I won't hold it against you. But if you do agree with me and you can't figure out why you're not getting that opportunity, just say his name. All right, so the non-heavyweight portion of the show is over. Let's transition to the big guys and begin the only place that makes sense. And that's with the current heavyweight champion of the world. Francis Ngannou was talking to Helwani, and I've kind of changed my view on Francis, by the way. I kind of have. Francis used to really frustrate me. I think it's because I misunderstood him. I'm starting to understand him more, and I'm starting to look at him differently. 
I disagree with a lot of the things he says, possibly all of them. I disagree with the gamesmanship, the chessboard, the strategy, but that's a manager's issue. Coach, trainer, people within his team. It's really none of my business. I find that I keep inserting myself into Francis's business, though, but when you're a fan of the sport, if you're a pundit in the sport, the heavyweight championship is coveted. It's special. That's the belt Muhammad Ali had. That's the belt Hulk Hogan had. That's the belt The Rock had. I mean, there's something there to that heavyweight championship. Francis, when he was talking with Ariel, said he felt very disrespected by the UFC. What Francis is talking about is the fact that they did an interim championship. He's saying, look, I'm the champion. Now you've gone out and watered down my achievement by putting a belt that looks very similar to mine on a guy in my weight class. That's Francis's point. Now, one of the reasons why I wouldn't be my typical dick of a self and come out and scold Francis, as I believe I'm understanding Francis more. I believe that I'm getting him more. And Francis and I had a face-to-face -face. one time everybody was at the PFL. It was very quick. But I learned a few things about him. I learned it by looking in his eye. I learned it by the tone of his voice. I learned a few things about him. I'm looking at him differently now. If an angry Francis with a chip on his shoulder is the best version of Francis, nobody should try to take that chip off his shoulder. His coaches should not. His managers should not. The UFC should not. Fans should not. I most certainly would be out of bounds. And I know guys like this. You guys know I'm a big amateur wrestling fan. We have a guy right now named Jaden Cox. Jaden is a victim. Jaden has been abused. Jaden has been mistreated. But he's believed that for a number of years and has yet to leave the country and not bring us home a beautiful shiny medal. Chip on his shoulder, Jaden Cox, is the best Jaden Cox. I lived a big part of my own career with that same chip. I was at Team Quest. We had multiple world champions. I knew on a daily basis at 3 o'clock where I stood in this world, I couldn't even get signed to the organization. I was not a contender. I was not a pretender. I was a dreamer showing up every day trying to get a break was one of those things, and it created a frustration. So if Francis is something he's frustrated about, but he's getting the results that he's getting, I don't know that you want to correct it. The other side is where I categorically disagree with Francis, and I want Francis to be real careful before he creates an enemy. And one thing that happens when you get a little bit of run, you get a little bit of stroke, Little bit of recognition, little bit of fame, little jinjang in your pocket is guys change quickly. Again, I came from Team Quest. You guys have heard of that gym. We were legendary. In all fairness, we were legendary. Ever been as legendary as the shootbox gym. Very big deal. Nothing divided our team more than the Ultimate Fighter. I have one teammate to this day that went on the Ultimate Fighter and is still my teammate. No one came back. And we had major ends. You remember the first ever Ultimate Fighter, Randy Couture was the coach. Remember that season? It was Randy versus Chuck. 
That whole Forrest and uh, Stefan match was predicated on Chuck and Randy being the coaches. So we had a major in from Jump Street. Then Randy still knows all the people over there and the producers and the talent agents. He knew exactly who to get in with. So Team Quest had a major participation throughout the series of The Ultimate Fighter. No one came back except one guy. He even left. He left for many years. He has since returned. Nothing divided us more. Why? Well, all of a sudden the guys that were hungry, like me, that were trying to get their break, like me, that were working to be champions, like me, were on TV. They were recognized. When you start to get recognized on TV, and whether you've come in to success or you're on the cusp of coming into success, nothing will change in that. You do not quit having scammers and leeches coming to you. You just have access to a higher level of scumbag. This scumbag will show up in a three-piece suit and take you to a beautiful lobster meal instead of the scumbag showing up in used Adidas and taking you for a cheeseburger at noon. It's the same guy with the same plan, which is to somehow latch onto you. But the very first thing he has to do, it's the art of war, is divide and able to conquer. So he will get in your ear if he's a manager. And he will quickly tell you all the things that you should be getting and how stunned he is that nobody's told you this before. And you'll run and sign with him instantly. You have to. This is your big moment and you've got to use it. You'll get coaches that come to you and say, I cannot believe the way that you're training. I'm stunned that nobody has told you this. Come out and be with me and we're going to make this right. And you go. You have to. It's your opportunity. Nothing divided us more than the ultimate fighter. I only bring that to you because I'm very, very aware of the psychology of getting exposed to something positive, having people around you telling you things, pulling you in different directions. They must divide and able to conquer. So if you're somebody that has absolutely nothing, you've now made it into the UFC, got recognized, made it to main event status, made it to world title fight status, got absolutely dominated, and they let you return to it again against the same opponent, oh, and by the way, have given you a disclosed $2.7 million. It would seem to anybody that those people believe in you. It would seem to anybody, wow, those people really believe in you those people in this case being the UFC. To be the person who came over here with nothing, has made it to the highest ranks, failed miserably, and was allowed to return against the same opponent. I mean, look, if they don't believe in you, they sure as hell aren't going to put you in there with a guy who you fought for, for five rounds and you didn't win a single one of them. In all fairness, that was a tip of the hat. That was a tip of the hat. Main eventing pay-per-views. Main eventing on ESPN paid the bonuses, put the belt around you, offered all their main events on pay-per-view that's going to come with other big, beautiful checks. And you're now telling them no and believing that they have somehow wronged you. I don't want you guys to pass judgment on Francis. I used to do that. I used to do that and then I met him. It's different. It's different. Athletes have to put themselves in whatever situation they believe is best. And Francis, not for nothing, is a survivor. Can we give him that? If you've heard the Francis Ngano story, which is flat inspiring, the guy's a survivor. So if he's putting himself in a position, and some guys, they got to be a wounded animal. 
and they got to put themselves in a corner. A wounded animal backed into a corner is one of the most dangerous things you could ever come across. You must always give your enemy a way out. Remember that. You're going to have enemies in life, business, relationships, or in combat. Give them a way out. Don't ever put them into a position where they're cornered. Because now they only got one choice, okay? But if Francis mentally believes that's when he does his best work and that's what he's attempting to do, great. Why should we tell him? He's the champion of the world. But if he sincerely in his heart feels that somebody saw the story, saw the look, saw the skills, and didn't believe in the guy when they're using him in their most marquee spots, that would just be inaccurate. It would just be incorrect. And Francis talked about, I should be able to go box. I for sure am going to run my UFC contract out. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how many matches he has left. But he's going to run it out so he can go over and box. The multi-millionaire. He's going to go over and box where the real money is. Francis Ngannou was worth nothing in boxing. Conor McGregor is worth nothing in boxing. Israel Adesanya is worth nothing in boxing. That's not completely true. However, the UFC champion is. And that's what these guys are missing. Conor McGregor does not fight Floyd Mayweather for the purse that he got. The double UFC champion does. Francis Ngannou does not go and fight Tyson Fury in a huge boxing match. The UFC heavyweight champion does. And that's where the disconnect comes. And that's where the lack of understanding and the lack of gratitude is nauseating. And it is infuriating. But I'm not Francis's manager. I'm not his team. This is their job. But if they've assessed their athlete and they came to the conclusion that pissed off Francis is the best Francis, keep him right where he's at. Keep him right where he's at. But we do all need to be very clear. If you think that you're going to have a contract with a promoter and that that promoter does not have the right to participate and do everything within his power to get a return on investment, you're unreasonable. You're wrong from a legal standpoint, but even from an ethical standpoint, you are unreasonable. If you believe you have met a promoter and an organization who has given you opportunity, and that's the only thing they can give, but if they gave you an opportunity and you are not grateful and you're not appreciative and you feel it's appropriate to turn the gun back on them, then your advisors and your inner circle had better be careful because when a person tells you who they are, believe them. I'll talk to you about the guy that Francis beat for the heavyweight title in March. But before that, I want to tell you guys about today's sponsor. The leaves are about to fall. While Mother Nature does her thing to prepare for the new season, you can do yours by getting free life insurance quotes at Policy Genius. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why should you compare? Because you can save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. 
the licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirements for one simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor. To get started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free without any added fees. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Guys, I want to tell you about some new training gear I've been using by a company called 10,000. And as a lifelong athlete, I will say, if I would have found this workout gear years ago, just gave me a confidence. It feels better. And guys, I know you can relate to this. You get up, you put on a good shirt, one that you like, one that feels good. It makes you feel good. It motivates you for the workout. In all fairness, that's what I love most about 10,000. I first heard about this from Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz and one of the Gracies were asked, what do they need in training gear? Break this down in the world of MMA. Do you need a light? Do you need a breathable? Whatever questions they got asked. They did a great job. So when Dominic got this done, I bought some to support him more than anything else. And I must tell you, I've been running in their interval shorts and their versatile shirt. I love the waistband on these shorts and the shirt liners. I appreciate that it stretched a little bit, but it's breathable, high quality material. Look, I can tell you what a great job this is and how you make these things. Do you care? Do you feel good? Do you look good? Yes, you will. And here's a fun fact too. A team of over 200 athletes tested the gear, right, that Dominic helped to design. They loved it too. 10,000 guys has over 10,000 five-star reviews on their products and they're still offering free shipping. All in time for any product to get to you for any holiday or birthdays you have coming up. If you don't like it, no problem, return it. They'll give you your money back. They offer a lifetime guarantee that shows you how much they believe in their quality. I got a call to action. 10,000 is offering my listeners 15% off your purchase. All you gotta do is go to 10,000.cc and enter the code CHAIL. You will receive 15% off your purchase. That is 10,000.cc and enter the code CHAIL for a 15% savings. You guys want to know who Stipe Miocic likes? You want to know who he likes? Me. He's always liked me. I've always liked Stipe. We have a great relationship. Do you want to know who Stipe will not listen to? Me. How do you not listen to the smartest guy in the room? In all fairness, particularly if he's a friend of yours and you have each other's phone numbers and you speak every now and then, how do you not listen to that guy? What would you guys do? You ever ask yourself that? What would you do if you had access to my mind? You would use it. Of course you would. You would call for advice. You wonder who never asked me for advice? Stipe. I get asked about Stipe. Stipe's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Stipe will fight for a world championship again. 
I am not convinced that Stipe's best days are behind him. I fully acknowledge that there's a new monster in the weight class that's got 40 pounds of steel on him, and that's going to be a hard mountain to climb. But that's nothing new. I haven't stated anything new. They were all hard mountains to climb. Verdun was a hard mountain. Dos Anjos is a hard mountain. Struve's a hard mountain. Cormier's a hard mountain. They're all hard mountains. Okay. Why do I bring it up? Because, guys, let me paint a scenario for you. Okay? You have a guy, let's call him John, who's going to come into your weight class, the weight class where you're the greatest ever and recognized. Numbers and defenses prove you're the greatest ever. John's going to come in and John's going to get a title shot, whether that's against you or over you. Either way, this is going to happen and there's nothing you can do. It's like being a cashier at the Quickie Mart when the guys come in with masks and shotguns at one in the morning. There's nothing you can do. You're beat. Okay. Now let's say John. Let's just call the guy John. Random name, right? But let's just call him John. Gets an illegal issue. Not only is he openly this John character, a prick to the company, who would love to get him beat and just be done with him, but he now has a legal issue that impedes his ability to get a license, slows everything down, and embarrasses said company. It would seem, without anybody saying it, without anybody having to say it, it would seem as though that golden ticket into the finals is now going to be taken off the table. It would seem. We don't have evidence of that. But if you're strategically trying to make your play, it would seem like that time is now. At least a conversation. At one point, the conversation never existed. It had already been had. And the golden ticket is going to this guy we'll call John. But now it looks like everything's back on the table. So we've got a couple of pieces in place, Francis and Surreal. They're going to have to fight somebody. It would seem to me, obviously, Stipe's the number one contender. He was just the champion. Of course, if he gets beat and only by one guy who's now the champion, he becomes the number one contender. Of course he does. Simple math. So now we end up in the thing where we've got the, uh, the interim champion. These guys got to take care of their business. They got a contract signed. Makes all the sense in the world we bring them together. Going to do that in January. What's going to be next? Which is what everybody's going to ask Dana White as soon as they get to the press conference. What's next for Surreal or Francis? What's next? You always have to deal with the rematch clause. And I don't mean that there's a clause in the contract like maybe you've heard about in some boxing fights. I'm talking about the realisticness that this is a great match or it's even controversial and you got to run it back, right? Aljo and uh, Peter, you, you just have to do it again. It's unexpected, but we have to do this. Sure, you run into that. But should Stipe have to fight again? No. No is the answer. But Stipe's willing to. So what's it matter? He's willing to fight. And the last time I talked to Stipe's old lady, she said, we're getting ready for John Jones. Now, I kept that from you guys. I thought she gave me private information. But she then came out, or, Steve, or someone within the camp came out about a month later and said, we're hearing John Jones. Oh, I think it was Dana was at a press conference and said, yes, we, we've offered Stipe and Jones, and Stipe's accepted, and John hasn't, but here we are. It would seem as though, right, because if you're Stipe, there's a few ways to go. If you get on the docket with John Jones and you're the one to beat him, that's going to be very attractive to you. 
if you can get right into a world title fight against either Surreal or Francis, that's going to be very interesting. And then for us, the viewer, don't forget what Stipe said. And I have to remind you because he doesn't say enough. He doesn't say enough because he doesn't listen to me. But Stipe, after he lost to Francis, said, I need to put on 20 pounds. Now, Stipe has that ability. But Stipe Miocic, who weighed in at 232 for that fight, Stipe Miocic at 252, that is a very different fight for Francis. Stipe had several takedowns in their first meeting and would have had a takedown in their second meeting, except he didn't have the size. He just didn't have the size. I'm a much better wrestler than Francis Ngannou. Personalize it. Francis would admit that. That's a lot of man for me to get down, no matter how well I know the positions. Right, Size matters at some point. That's an interesting storyline. That's the same storyline that John Jones has been running for two years. Year and a half. About putting on the size, changing his physiology, bringing us in on it when he's pumping the weights. Saw him at the Hall of Fame, man. He looked good. It's an interesting story. Stipe's got the same one going, but he's not telling it. Like, whatever frustration Stipe had with going, okay, great, John's going to be next, and then I'll step in. I'm not sure that's true anymore. Or they offered me and John, but John didn't want to do it. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I'm not. I think there's room for conversation. I think there's an opportunity here. But it's like anything. you got to strike. Don't always wait for your phone to ring. If we were in a court of law and Stipe lays out his case, he's going to win. But we're not in a court of law. We're in a court of public opinion. He's got to fight. He's got to fight back. He's got to speak up. And if he doesn't want to do it, he can send the message to me. I'll do it for him. But we have to hear something from the greatest heavyweight of all time. So for a while there, I was hoping that Stipe Miocic would get into the cage with John Jones. It doesn't look like it's going to happen for many reasons, the most important one being John's recent legal issues, which we need to get into. So John Jones came out in a tweet, and he said, It's funny to me how all of you people could take something you know nothing about, make it the worst thing imaginable, and have it become a reality. I did not hit my fiance. My daughter woke up after our confrontation. I'm not going to hire a publicist. I'm not going to go on a PR campaign. This didn't happen. Okay. Well, I don't want to be one of those people. And if I'm influencing, that's a terrible person. Make something up about somebody that was terrible and then come out and act like it happened. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to influence you guys in that way but I think we should band together that we don't do that. Let's look at what we know, okay? We only know what we have been told. We were told by John Jones himself one day after this that a deity known as the devil made him do it, but he is going to make what the most worst thing in his life was, he's going to turn it into the greatest positive. He's not going to drink again. He has brain trauma. The conjunction and combination of brain trauma and alcohol makes him do things he wished he didn't. These are his words, not mine. So when he put that out in writing for the world to see, of which still exists on his Instagram page, what was it that he was referring to? 
because he is now saying nothing happened. We have a security guard who is a disinterested third party that does not know John and does not know the baby mama or the child who says the woman is bleeding at the lip and as he looks closer has blood on her clothing, her shirt and her scarf. So we have an admittedly, I don't, I don't want to put, I don't want to put words here. I don't like it when somebody does that. Just want to rework this with the evidence we have. We have a admittedly drunk John Jones who admitted his own words. I had a confrontation, his words, not mine, with the baby mama. We have a security guard who is sober doing their job, is trained in this in some fashion, who believes that she was struck. He then sees the amount of blood, follows him up to the room, and also sees blood on the bedding. That does not mean she was struck. I agree. We do not have evidence of this, but these are the claims. The sweet, underage daughter who woke up only after the confrontation is in tears on the floor of a casino asking a stranger with a badge to please call the police on her father. The father, a drunken John Jones, something happened within that room at 5 a.m. that he blew out of there. He went back to the room presumably to go to sleep. He did not. He blew out of there. What happened that he had to hit the road? What? We know what the security guard suspects happened. We know what even a blind juror would convict happened. We don't have tremendous clarity from the fiance or or the daughter. The, the fiance said her lips were dry. It's the desert. My lips got dry and started bleeding all over my shirt, scarf, and, and the bed. Okay. I can't say different. But a confrontation also happened. That was the work of a deity known as the devil. These are John's words, not mine. Not surveillance tape. Not opinion. John's words. The worst thing that had ever happened is going to cause a life-changing event where he is going to, an alcoholic is going to walk away from alcohol. His words. His words are also that nothing happened. So what is it that that deity known as the devil did, according to an Instagram page put out by him, that still exists today? I'm asking a question. I'm not answering it. He is then placed in handcuffs by a four-man Las Vegas police team who is sober, disinterested, third parties, at which point he commits a felony against government property. He challenges the police officers to take him out of the cuffs and engage in a fight with him while drunk, while on video. It has not come out yet. It will. We will get to see this whole thing on police cam video. And he's telling the viewer that we are making things up, that we're imagining the worst things possible, That his daughter saw absolutely nothing in a confrontation that did not happen, even though he said that it did happen. 
at a time when he was so drunk, he's having a hard time remembering it because of brain trauma to the fact that he's going to stop alcohol use. And how dare you make something up? His coach, who, as the coach said to Errol Hawani, looks at John Jones as a brother, has told him he's no longer allowed in the gym. This is the same coach who, when John hid under the ring to hide from USADA, something John Jones admits happened, like to correct the record, John, that it was not because of steroids, it was because of marijuana use, but yes, in fact, he did hide under the ring. A story that was told by yours truly. The coach publicly came out knowing it happened and lied on John's behalf, saying, Chael, me, made it up. So we know we have a complicit coach, and much like you who would lie for your brother, he viewed John as a brother and he lied. And even said coach has now come out and told John he may not return to the gym. Now that would only happen for one of two reasons. Reason one, you believe this is what can fix a guy who you care about. I got to get some cold water. I got to splash it in this face. I got to get some sense on this will help. Or reason two, it's bad for business. And before you think we're all going to have to guess, because of course everybody's going to say it's reason one, but we don't have to guess once said coach comes out on a PR tour and tells the world, I told him he can't come back. You would only need the world to know of a private conversation that distances yourself with a perceived cancer if it was bad for you and business. And that's what happened. So now we have our answer. And I couldn't figure out when Malky cut John and thought the world needed to know. I've never seen it. The changing of managers is very common in MMA. I've never seen where a manager came out to let you know my absolute most high-profile client who I have used to get other clients is no longer, and I need you all to know that. It's very interesting. And you still have a coach who would like to see him back, who would like to, even if it was he needed to do this because it's best for business. Now, that can only mean a couple of things as well. One, fighters don't make money, but MMA gyms can stay alive because of kids' programs, and all of a sudden parents are saying, look, I'm not bringing my kid into the same thing if you have this guy here. Or two, you just don't think he's ever going to fight again. Simple as that. You just see it as a waste of time because you don't think that he's ever going to compete again. Either way, I don't want to fall into a category of person who knows nothing and makes up as though it was true the worst possible scenario. I have an admittedly drunk person, admittedly, who has said very little other than 
It was the worst thing that had ever happened to them. They're going to change the way that they live. And he had a confrontation. I have an opinion of a disinterested third party known as a security guard. And I have a heartbreaking story of an innocent young child. I don't want to make things up. But of those three, which do you think I'm going to believe? To wrap up today's show, I want to talk about the heavyweights that poured their hearts out last Saturday and the latest to come from Deontay Wilder's camp regarding the fight. Deontay Wilder's team has come out and they released an x-ray, they released an image of Deontay's broken hand. Now that's an attempt to tell a story. The story that's being attempted to be told is we had a good fight, we put Tyson down a couple of times, we hung in there and we did it a one-armed man in an ass-whipping contest. Very obvious, right? How do you feel about that? Is that interesting? Is that a way to lessen the embarrassment or the shame or the loss? I don't know that there needs to be any embarrassment or shame. It's a loss. You went into a fair adjudication. You got a fair result. I, I don't know that you need to do that, but it still exists to some degree. Is that Does that lessen it for you, the viewer? Or do you look at the other way and go, my God, I knew that Tyson knocked you out. I knew he beat the hell out of you, but he also broke you? Uh, is there a way, because it's your hand and you're the one that threw the punch and you were trying to do so much damage, is, is there a way that you're trying to untell the story that you're now also broken? If I was broken, you guys would never know it. This almost happened to me. I'll personalize this, but I ended up in an emergency room between weigh-ins and a fight. I was in the emergency room that night. I never said a word. Haven't said a word, still not going to tell you now. Won't tell you what fight it was, won't tell you what it was about. But a reporter out of Canada got a hold of it. And I agreed to do an interview with him. But we were live and he brought it up. I didn't know he had this. I did not know he was armed with this. So I'm getting calls from the athletic commissions. What's going on? How did you do this? I didn't have to disclose anything to them. I had to disclose to them prior to the weigh-in and I did. There was no other form or no other discussion that I needed to do. And if I was to reveal that, I'm taken away from my opponent who allegedly won intricacies within the rules, but they raised his hand. I'm trying to tell a story myself. The whole thing was weird, and it would have affected my pride greatly. But am I wrong? Am I wrong? Would have I been better off to say, here's what happened, and I was tough enough to walk out there and try, by golly, did I do it wrong? This just got done by an American wrestler named Kyle Dake. Kyle Dake is the best wrestler in the world, not my opinion. He's a three-time, I said three-time, three-time world champion. He goes to the Olympic Games, which is the exact same thing as a world championship that he's won three times. It's the same thing. Every fourth year, they call it the Olympics. He gets beat. Something was off. I watched the match. I've seen Dake in training. I've seen him since he was 15 years old. That something was off. That wasn't him. He has never revealed that. And the media picked right up on it. We've got footage of him. We see him not being himself. We have the evidence. We just need him to verify it. He has refused to do it for two reasons. 
He doesn't want to take away from his opponent. That's unsportsmanlike. The other guy won fair and square in his mind. And he doesn't make excuses. I come from that same school of thought. And I've seen many fighters after the fact want to give you an injury list. And even in my own situation, which I've never spoke about. If I want to tell you before the fight, fine. But to tell you after the fight, would I tell you after I don't get the outcome that I wanted? I've seen many fighters do this. Tito got teased for years. He had like, you know, a broken skull or whatever it is he claimed. But he doesn't tell you till after the fight where he got his ass whipped. Or Mike Tyson was famous for getting his ass whipped and then claiming I have a broken back. Those things are interesting and they're relevant. You have a legal obligation to tell the commission, which you didn't do. You should have your license suspended. For one, which no commission's ever done. They should. And secondly, what's the point after the match? Does Conor McGregor get a pass for losing to Dustin because his leg broke? Or does Dustin get recognized that we're in a sport predicated on damage and I left you broken? I'm asking. I'm not answering it. I'm asking you guys. Are you better off to make excuses? Should Kyle Dake not be as macho as he is? Should he come out and tell excuses? Do you think that Deontay Wilder losing to Tyson Fury but having a broken hand somewhere in the contest somehow pads the loss for Deontay, gets him closer to a rematch, takes any shine off of what he did? Because quite frankly, Deontay Wilder looked beautiful in that fight. He lost. Sometimes there's just a better fighter, right? I watched Daniel Cormier versus John Jones. Broke my heart. John was just a better fighter. Daniel did everything right and his stock rose. I think that's what happened with Deontay. I think a lot of people have a lot of respect for Deontay Wilder. And I think whoever within his team thought this was a good move, and you have to understand that that's his team. Deontay Wilder's never Instagrammed or dot-commed anything. Deontay Wilder couldn't spell X-ray any more than he could tell you the number to 911. Somebody within his team that has the codes to his account thought it was a good idea to lessen the blow of the defeat in a very fair adjudication by saying he has a hand broke. I'm not going to let it slide. So it turns out, thanks to his team, with the evidence we now have, not only did Tyson Fury stop you, he also broke you. Thank you for the information. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, search your welcome, and leave a review like our friend D, who says the podcast gets me through the workday. Well, thank you, D. And thanks to all of you. I will be back for another show next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.